Good evening, dear listeners, and welcome back to Sci-Fi Tales, the show where we bring you stories of science fiction and fantasy. Our tale today is called The Blind Man and the Dervish, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Caliph Harun al-Rashid sat in his palace, wondering if there was anything left in the world that could possibly give him a few hours' amusement, when Giafar the Grand Vizier, his old and tried friend, suddenly appeared before him. Bowing low, he waited, as was his duty, till his master spoke, but Harun al-Rashid merely turned his head and looked at him, and sank back into his former weary posture. Now Giafar had something of the importance to say to the Caliph, and had no intention of being put off by mere silence. So with another low bow in front of the throne, he began to speak. Commander of the faithful, said he, I have taken on myself to remind your highness that you have undertaken secretly to observe for yourself the manner in which justice is done and order is kept throughout the city. This is the day you have set apart to devote to this object, and perhaps in fulfilling this duty you may find some distraction from the melancholy to which, as I see to my sorrow, you are a prey. You are right, returned the caliph. I had forgotten all about it. Go and change your coat, and I will change mine. A few moments later, they both re-entered the hall, disguised as foreign merchants, and passed through a secret door, out into the open country. Here they turned towards the Euphrates, and crossing the river in a small boat, walked through that part of the town which lay along the further bank, without seeing anything to call for their interference. Much pleased with the peace and good order of the city, the caliph and his vizier made their way to a bridge, which led straight back to the palace, and had already crossed it, when they were stopped by an old and blind man, who begged for alms. The caliph gave him a piece of money, and was passing on, but the blind man seized his hand and held him fast. Charitable person, he said, whoever you may be, grant me yet another prayer. Strike me, I beg of you, one blow. I have deserved it richly, and even a more severe penalty. The caliph, much surprised at this request, replied gently, My good man, that which you ask is impossible. Of what use would my arms be if I treated you so ill? And as he spoke, he tried to loosen the grasp of the blind beggar. My lord, answered the man, pardon my boldness and my persistence. Take back your money, or give me the blow which I crave. I have sworn a solemn oath that I will receive nothing without receiving chastisement, and if you knew all, you would feel that the punishment is not a tenth part of what I deserve. Moved by these words, and perhaps still more by the fact that he had other business to attend to, the caliph yielded and struck him lightly on the shoulder. Then he continued his road, followed by the blessing of the blind man. When they were out of earshot, he said to the vizier, There must be something very odd to make that man act so. I should like to find out what is the reason. Go back to him, tell him who I am and order him to come without fail to the palace tomorrow, after the hour of evening prayer. So the Grand Vizier went back to the bridge, gave the blind beggar first a piece of money and then a blow, delivered the Caliph's message and rejoined his master. They passed on towards the palace, but walking through a square, 
they came upon a crowd, watching a young and well-dressed man who was urging a horse at full speed round the open space, using at the same time his spurs and whip so unmercifully that the animal was all covered with foam and blood. The caliph, astonished at this proceeding, inquired of a passer-by what it all meant, but no one could tell him anything, except that every day at the same hour the same thing took place. Still wondering, he passed on, and for the moment had to content himself with telling the vizier to command the horseman also to appear before him at the same time as the blind man. The next day, after evening prayer, the caliph entered the hall and was followed by the vizier, bringing with him the two men of whom we have spoken and a third with whom we have nothing to do. They all bowed themselves low before the throne and then the caliph bade them rise and asked the blind man his name. Baba Abdallah, your highness, said he. Baba Abdallah, returned the caliph, your way of asking alms yesterday seemed to me so strange that I almost commanded you then and there to cease from causing such a public scandal. But I have sent for you to inquire what was your motive in making such a curious vow. When I know the reason, I shall be able to judge whether you can be permitted to continue to practice it. For I cannot help thinking that it sets a very bad example to others. Tell me therefore the whole truth and conceal nothing. These words troubled the heart of Baba Abdallah, who prostrated himself at the feet of the Caliph. Then rising, he answered, Commander of the Faithful, I crave your pardon humbly for my persistence in beseeching your highness to do an action which appears on the face of it to be without any meaning. No doubt in the eyes of men, it has none, but I look on it as a slight expiation for a fearful sin of which I have been guilty. And if your highness will deign to listen to my tale, you will see that no punishment could atone for the cremae. I was born commander of the faithful in Baghdad and was left an orphan while I was yet a very young man, for my parents died within a few days of each other. I had inherited from them a small fortune, which I worked hard night and day to increase, till at last, I found myself the owner of 80 camels. These I hired out to traveling merchants, whom I frequently accompanied on their various journeys and always returned with large profits. One day I was coming back from Balsora, whither I had taken a supply of goods intended for India and halted at noon in a lonely place, which promised rich pasture for my camels. I was resting in the shade under a tree when a dervish going on foot towards Balsora sat down by my side and I inquired whence he had come and to what place he was going. We soon made friends and after we had asked each other the usual questions, we produced the food we had with us and satisfied our hunger. While we were eating, the dervish happened to mention that in a spot only a little way off from where we were sitting, there was hidden a treasure so great that if my 80 camels were loaded till they could carry no more, the hiding place would seem as full as if it had never been touched. At this news, I became almost beside myself with joy and greed, and I flung my arms round the neck of the dervish, exclaiming, Good dervish, I see plainly that the riches of this world are nothing to you, therefore of what use is the knowledge of this treasure to you, 
alone and on foot, you could carry away a mere handful. But tell me where it is, and I will load my eighty camels with it, and give you one of them as a token of my gratitude. Certainly my offer does not sound very magnificent, but it was great to me, for at his words a wave of covetousness had swept over my heart, and I almost felt as if the seventy-nine camels that were left were nothing in comparison. The dervish saw quite well what was passing in my mind, but he did not show what he thought of my proposal. My brother, he answered quietly, you know as well as I do, that you are behaving unjustly. It was open to me to keep my secret and to reserve the treasure for myself, but the fact that I have told you of its existence shows that I had confidence in you and that I hoped to earn your gratitude forever by making your fortune as well as mine. But before I reveal to you the secret of the treasure, you must swear that, after we have loaded the camels with as much as they can carry, you will give half to me and let us go our own ways. I think you will see that this is fair, for if you present me with forty camels, I on my side will give you the means of buying a thousand more. I could not, of course, deny that what the dervish said was perfectly reasonable, but, in spite of that, the thought that the dervish would be as rich as I was unbearable to me. Still, there was no use in discussing the matter, and I had to accept his conditions, or bewail to the end of my life the loss of immense wealth. So I collected my camels, and we set out together under the guidance of the dervish. After walking some time, we reached what looked like a valley, but with such a narrow entrance that my camels could only pass one by one. The little valley, or open space, was shut up by two mountains, whose sides were formed of straight cliffs, which no human being could climb. When we were exactly between these mountains, the dervish stopped. Make your camels lie down in this open space, he said, so that we can easily load them. Then we will go to the treasure. I did what I was bid and rejoined the dervish, whom I found trying to kindle a fire out of some dry wood. As soon as it was alight, he threw on it a handful of perfumes and pronounced a few words that I did not understand. And immediately, a thick column of smoke rose high into the air. He separated the smoke into two columns, and then I saw a rock, which stood like a pillar between the two mountains, slowly open, and a splendid palace appear within. But, commander of the faithful, the love of gold had taken such possession of my heart that I could not even stop to examine the riches, but fell upon the first pile of gold within my reach and began to heap it into a sack that I had brought with me. The dervish likewise set to work, but I soon noticed that he confined himself to collecting precious stones, and I felt I should be wise to follow his example. At length, the camels were loaded with as much as they could carry, and nothing remained but to seal up the treasure and go our ways. Before, however, this was done, the dervish went up to a great golden vase, beautifully chased, and took from it a small wooden box, which he hid in the bosom of his dress, merely saying that it contained a special kind of ointment. Then he once more kindled the fire, threw on the perfume, and murmured the unknown spell and the rock closed and stood whole as before. The next thing was to divide the camels and to charge them with the treasure, after which we each took command of our own and marched out of the valley till we reached the place in the high road where the routes diverge, and then we parted, 
the dervish going towards Balsora, and I to Baghdad. We embraced each author tenderly, and I poured out my gratitude for the honour he had done me in singling me out for this great wealth, and having said a hearty far, well we turned our backs and hastened after our camels. I had hardly come up with mine when the demon of envy filled my soul. What does a dervish want with riches like that? I said to myself. He alone has the secret of the treasure and can always get as much as he wants. And I halted my camels by the roadside and ran back after him. I was a quick runner and it did not take me very long to come up with him. My brother, I exclaimed as soon as I could speak. Almost at the moment of our leave-taking, a reflection occurred to me which is perhaps new to you. You are a dervish by profession and live a very quiet life, only caring to do good and careless of the things of this world. You do not realize the burden that you lay upon yourself when you gather into your hands such great wealth. Besides the fact that no one who is not accustomed to camels from his birth can ever manage the stubborn beasts. If you are wise, you will not encumber yourself with more than 30 and you will find those trouble enough. You are right, replied the dervish, who understood me quite well, but did not wish to fight the matter. I confess I had not thought about it. Choose any ten you like and drive them before you. I selected ten of the best camels and we proceeded along the road to rejoin those I had left behind. I had got what I wanted, but I had found the dervish so easy to deal with that I rather regretted I had not asked it for ten more. I looked back. He had only gone a few paces, and I called after him. My brother, I said, I am unwilling to part from you without pointing out what I think you scarcely grasp. That large experience of camel driving is necessary to anybody who intends to keep together a troop of 30. In your own interest, I feel sure you would be much happier if you entrusted ten more of them to me. For with my practice it is all one to me if I take 2 or 100 as before the dervish made no difficulties and I drove off my 10 camels in triumph only leaving him with 20 for his share I had now 60 and any one might have imagined that I should be content but commander of the faithful there is a proverb that says the more one has the more one wants so it was with me I could not rest as long as one solitary camel remained to the dervish and returning to him I redoubled my prayers and embraces and promises of eternal gratitude till the last 20 were in my hands Make a good use of them my brother said the holy man Remember riches sometimes have wings if we keep them for ourselves and the poor are at our gates expressly that we may help them My eyes were so blinded by gold that i paid no heed to his wise counsel and only looked about for something else to grasp suddenly i remembered the little box of ointment that the dervish had hidden and which most likely contained a treasure more precious than all the rest giving him one last embrace i observed accidentally what are you going to do with that little box of ointment it seems hardly worth taking with you you might as well let me have it and really A dervish who has given up the world has no need of ointment. Oh, if he had only refused my request. But then supposing he had, I should have got possession of it by force. So great was the madness that had laid hold upon me. However, 
Far from refusing it, the dervish at once held it out, saying gracefully, Take it, my friend, and if there is anything else I can do to make you happy, you must let me know. Directly the box was in my hands, I wrenched off the cover. As you are so kind, I said, tell me, I pray you, what are the virtues of this ointment? They are most curious and interesting, replied the dervish. If you apply a little of it to your left eye, you will behold, in an instant, all the treasures hidden in the bowels of the earth. But beware, lest you touch your right eye with it, or your sight will be destroyed forever. His words excited my curiosity to the highest pitch. Make trial on me, I implore you, I cried, holding out the box to the dervish. You will know how to do it better than I. I am burning with impatience to test its charms. The dervish took the box I had extended to him, and bidding me shut my left eye, touched it gently with the ointment. When I opened it again, I saw spread out, as it were before me, treasures of every kind and without number. But as all this time I had been obliged to keep my right eye closed, which was very fatiguing, I begged the dervish to apply the ointment to that eye also. If you insist upon it, I will do it, answered the dervish. But you must remember what I told you just now, that if it touches your right eye, you will become blind on the spot. Unluckily, in spite of my having proved the truth of the dervish's words in so many instances, I was firmly convinced that he was now keeping concealed from me some hidden and precious virtue of the ointment. So I turned a deaf ear to all he said. My brother, I replied smiling, I see you are joking. It is not natural that the same ointment should have two such exactly opposite effects. It is true all the same, answered the dervish, and it would be well for you if you believed my word. But I would not believe, and dazzled by the greed of avarice, I thought that if one eye could show me riches, the other might teach me how to get possession of them, and I continued to press the dervish to anoint my right eye, but this he resolutely declined to do. After having conferred such benefits on you, said he, I am loth indeed to work you such evil. Think what it is to be blind, and do not force me to do what you will. Repent as long as you live. It was of no use. My brother, I said firmly, pray say no more, but do what I ask. You have most generously responded to my wishes. Up to this time, do not spoil my recollection of you for a thing of such little consequence. Let what will happen, I take it on my own head and will never reproach you. Since you are determined upon it, he answered with a C, there is no use talking, and taking the ointment, he laid some on my right eye, which was tight shook. When I tried to open, it heavy clouds of darkness floated before me. I was as blind as you see me now. Miserable dervish, I shrieked, so it is true after all. Into what a bottomless pit has my lust after gold plunged me? Ah, now that my eyes are closed, they are really opened. I know that all my sufferings are caused by myself alone. But good brother, you, who are so kind and charitable, and know the secrets of such vast learning, have you nothing that will give me back my sight? Unhappy man, replied the dervish, it is not my fault that this has befallen you, but it is a just chastisement. The blindness of your heart has wrought the blindness of your body. Yes, I have secrets, 
that you have seen in the short time that we have known each other, but I have none that will give you back your sight. You have proved yourself unworthy of the riches that were given you. Now they have passed into my hands, whence they will flow into the hands of others, less greedy and ungrateful than you. The dervish said no more, and left me, speechless with shame and confusion, and so wretched that I stood rooted to the spot, while he collected the eighty camels and proceeded on his way to Balsora. It was in vain that I entreated him not to leave me, but at least to take me within reach of the first passing caravan. He was deaf to my prayers and cries, and I should soon have been dead of hunger and misery if some merchants had not come along the track the following day and kindly brought me back to Baghdad. From a rich man, I had in one moment become a beggar, and up to this time, I have lived solely on the alms that have been bestowed on me. But, in order to expiate the sin of avarice, which was my undoing, I oblige each passerby to give me a blow. This, commander of the faithful, is my story. When the blind man had ended, the caliph addressed him, Baba Abdallah, truly your sin is great, but you have suffered enough. Henceforth, repent in private, for I will see that enough money is given you day by day for all your wants. At these words, Baba Abdallah flung himself at the caliph's feet and prayed that honor and happiness might be his portion forever. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. I hope you enjoyed my tale. If you did, please follow me on my podcast to listen to more tales every week. Good night, and until next time.